Hi everyone, hope you all are doing well. I am your host, Manveen Kaur, a volunteer here at Anon Global Foundation. And today we are back with another episode of Anon Streams, which will discuss a very relevant topic in our lives, that is mental health. October celebrates World Mental Health Day, which perfectly aligns with Anon's vision of ensuring mental wellness of everyone around us. Thus, Joining us in conversation today is Dr. Aisha Saneja, PhD, with an experience of 15 years. She is an integrative psychologist who has worked with adolescents, adults, couples and families presenting with various issues, including depression, anxiety, alcohol and drug addiction, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Her areas of focus include facilitating psychoeducational groups, teaching mindfulness and meditation, acceptance and commitment therapy and transpersonal hearing. We welcome you to the episode, ma'am. We are honored to have you on Anon Streams. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Manveen. Thank you so much for having me. The honor is all mine. Thank you for joining us today, ma'am. So, uh, ma'am, I'd like to start off today's conversation with some basics. So I'd like to know that how important in your opinion is mental health for us? Yeah, that's a really good question, Manveen. Um, for me, I believe that mental health is crucial. It's crucial for well-being um, in so many different ways. Because if you think about what the definition of mental health is, it really is, it encompasses not just mental, but also emotional, social, uh, relational, all kinds of things that make us, give us happiness or peace of mind or joy. So it's what we think, it's what we feel, and it's how we behave. So I think it's incredibly important uh, for, for all of us. Yes, ma'am, I totally agree with you. And I believe that mental health is not a destination. It's a process. So I think we have to keep working on it uh, to reach there. So this leads me on to a next question, which is that we usually give great importance to our physical health, right? The moment our temperature, you know, even increases to 99.5 degrees, we start to panic. And that's always been our focus. But somehow we tend to ignore our mental well-being. So what are the symptoms of a declining mental health that we should look out for, for diagnosis? And what is that point or what are those symptoms when we should decide to, you know, finally approach a psychologist? Yeah. Okay. So I agree with you completely. I think physical health is it's visible and mental health often can be invisible, right? It's an internal experience, people can't see it. Often we've learned in our culture and in our environment to ignore the signs or to numb them and not to pay attention to them. You know, we often associate mental health with weakness or uh, with not being strong. So there's a lot of cultural issues that we need to kind of look into when we're discussing mental health. And like you mentioned, that physical health, we can have a temperature or pain in our body and we know immediately, hey, I can go to a doctor. There's no shame in that. And I can get the, you know, whatever the doctor recommends medication or treatment. But with mental health, there's stigmas around it, which is why I appreciate so much that you are all talking about this and bringing more exposure to it. So to answer your question, I think whenever we start to see functioning being impaired, so by functioning, we can look at maybe three or four aspects, right? Look at social functioning. Like, are we having problems in relationships? Are we not maybe spending time with family and friends the way we want to? Are we isolating more? Are we going more inside? That would be one way of looking at functioning. 
The other one would be some sort of work functioning or school functioning. Are we cognitively impaired? Are we not able to focus? Are we losing our memory? Are we feeling panic and anxiety? Um, you know, things like that. So, and then the last one is just day to day or everyday things that we need to do to function, which is like, we need to get out of bed. We need to, you know, get ready. We need to commute and all those things. When, whenever we start seeing our functioning being impaired, that's really a good sign to say my relationships, my work, my school, and my day-to-day -day functioning is not up to par. And perhaps I can talk to somebody or look into getting some help and support around those areas. Definitely, ma'am. I think you put it in a very simple way, like functioning being impaired. Uh, mm -hmm. That's when we should decide to approach a psychologist. But that leads me, that, like, leads me to my next question, which I think most of our listeners would ha also have which is that is feeling too sad also a symptom? Yeah, I think that's a, such a great question because I think a lot of times we think that we should always be happy. That's what our culture teaches us, right? That we should always be, and especially when you look at social media, Instagram, everyone shows their best self. In fact, I call it, they show their Instagram self and perhaps not their real self. And the real self is an array of emotions. So it's very normal. I want to normalize that too because as much as our culture doesn't allow us to look at our mental health and doesn't see it as strength or courage, we also don't want to pathologize. And every time we're sad, think that we have something's wrong with us. Feeling sad is a very appropriate experience to, let's say, some bad news. Just the way grief is very appropriate when we experience loss. So sometimes people even confuse grief with depression. And I think grieving is a very important and crucial part of our lives. So sadness, if it's appropriate, and by that I mean, if you've had some bad news, if you've had something difficult happen in your life, if you've had a loss, feeling sad is okay. The big difference between, I would say, sadness and depression is that sadness is temporary. Sadness can be comforted where depression is not just a, a fleeting temporary thing. It's more permanent. It's more pervasive. It shows up in every aspect of your life. And it's very personal. Um, where sadness is if it's somebody comforts you or if you just, it, it could just be a feeling that will, that will pass because it's temporary. I think I would like to add a bit that right now, you know, Gen Z has this real life and real life. So I think, that is an aspect which usually, uh, you know, tends to put us uh, in a, a depressive or sad mood. Okay, so um, nowadays, our life has become, you know, so fast paced. Mm -hmm. And it's become very difficult to keep up, right? So we have assignment deadlines, social responsibilities, just clubbed with pressure from school, and, you know, further topped with some or the other problems in our friend circles. So on such days, what are some practical ways in which we can keep our mental health in check? Excellent question again. You have such great questions. Um, I like this one because this is more preventative. So instead of waiting until anxiety or depression or other kind of ailments, mental health uh, issues hit us, you're, I think you're asking, what can we do to keep our mental health in check and keep that wellness going? And one of my favorite ways, I, we call it the 202020. It's a very simple method. It's basically saying, if I can take one hour in my day and divide it into these 20, 20 minute segments, three of these, the first 20 minutes is movement. So any kind of movement, we know that exercise 
is so good for us. It releases endorphins, serotonin. We feel better after we exercise. So any form of movement that could be running, cardio, it could be um, yoga. It could be anything where you're moving your body. The second 20 minutes is going to be any kind of stillness. So the opposite of movement. So meditation, prayer, uh, contemplation, where we're just sitting still and we're allowing our mind to rest. And then the last 20 minutes is going to be introspection, which is any kind of um, self-reflection. So some people like to journal. Some people like to play, you know, an instrument or music. It's some sort of way of getting in touch with your, your feelings. And it doesn't always have to be quiet. Some people can really get in touch with their feelings when they're playing music or listening to a song. Uh, I guess the point here is that if we spend some time daily thinking about how do I feel? What's going on for me? Uh, what am I grateful for? What is making me sad today? And we can actually work through these things ourselves if we give ourselves the time to be present. Very beautifully uh, framed, ma'am. So movement, stillness, and introspection. I think these are the three things that I will now implement in my life for sure. And I'm sure our listeners will also. Oh. So thank you for that. Of course. Um, so ma'am, this reminds me of my friend who recently went through a breakup. And then our half yearly exams began and she couldn't focus on her studies. Mm -hmm. Naturally, her result was affected, which further demoralized her. So I can now see that she is in need of help because she started to become aloof. Uh, so, however, I am unable to figure out how I can do something for her. So my question is that how can I extend effective help to her? Okay, great question. Um, I think for a lot of us, especially in this field, we are really well-intentioned, meaning we want to help people. We want to be of service. And we also feel a lot of compassion for others. And, you know, compassion is hardwired into us. When we see somebody suffering, we feel it in our in ourselves. And there's, you know, studies that show that we actually experience other people's hurt as though we are experiencing it in our own bodies. So it's, it's uh, especially when there's someone that's close to us. So I've actually struggled with this a lot. I've always wanted to help others. And sometimes I would give them advice or even guidance. And that wasn't what they needed. So what I learned was I learned to be an active listener because listening is so important. And the second thing I learned was something called empathy. We all know what empathy is, but we want to make sure to differentiate that empathy is not sympathy. We don't want to feel sorry for people. We want to feel connected with people. So one of the things that I would do when somebody is struggling, for example, if my daughter is struggling, before I would say to her, what's going on? She would tell me, and I would immediately try to fix the problem. And I would give her solutions and guidance and say, do this, do this. And what she would do is shut down, say, never mind. And then she'd go in her room and shut the door because she didn't feel heard. She felt like a problem that I needed to fix. So the way that I switched that was with empathy. Now we can all relate to pretty much any emotion people are feeling. So if someone's feeling stressed, we know a time that we felt really stressed out. If somebody is feeling hurt or sad, we can remember a time we felt sad. So the point is that we connect with a small example to relate to that person. And then we say these three magic words, tell me more. So in the example of my daughter, she came home and said, my best friend didn't sit with me on the bus. And 
I had to stop myself from saying, well, you could have done this, or you should have done this. Instead, I said, oh, so you felt lonely. And she said, yeah, I felt all alone. And my friend wasn't talking to me. And I said, you know, I remember when I was your age, I went to a new school and I felt really lonely because I didn't know anybody. And I ate lunch in the bathroom because I had no one. So I get that just a little bit of my own experience. And then I said, tell me more. And then she explained and talked. And after the end, she said, mom, what should I do? And instead of giving her advice, I thought, well, you're, you're really smart. What do you think you could do? And she came up with a solution. I thought that's a great idea. And then the next day she came and told me what her friend was going through and how she was able to be an active listener for her friend, empathized with her, and they reconnected. So I think for me, the best way to do it is to empathize and then to allow people to guide themselves into finding what they need. Yes, ma'am. I think I learned new golden words today, which is tell me more. So I'll definitely use those now in my life. Ma'am, I often tend to wonder that, you know, we can generally issue, you know, a medical medical certificate to uh, prove that we are not physically well, right? And we can also show this at our workplace or at our school to get leaves or breaks for medical reasons. However, what about when we are feeling mentally low? Uh, how do we take a break then? And is it about time we collectively put a system in place for, for this, which prioritizes mental health more? I think that's such a great idea. I know here um, in the US, we have at work, we have things called mental health days. And so we're assigned, you know, a certain amount of mental health days in a year. And then of course, we're assigned the physical health days where we have physical issues. And I still think that for the majority of people here, they're more likely to take the physical health days over the mental health days, because the bigger problem for us is not that we all don't struggle with mental health, it's that we don't want to talk about it. And that we feel, we feel ashamed or we feel very self-conscious about saying, I'm having mental health issue and I need to take a mental health day. I would love to see this, this myth kind of be you know, broken and that people actually uh, experience more opportunities to take some time off because self-care is so important. Um, I think the biggest thing that's going to happen is that we're going to have to be more vulnerable. We're going to have to be more authentic because authenticity and vulnerability is what really creates creativity and change and innovation. So the more we allow um, others to take that opportunity, I think better it'll be for corporations and companies, but it has to start at the leadership level. You know, if I don't tell my employees or my team that, hey, I'm struggling with something and I'm going to take a day off to take care of myself because I need life work balance, then the chances of the people that work in my team, they're not going to do it either. So I think it's the, the, it's the leadership that needs to start seeing that vulnerability is actually courage. It's not weakness. And then we can hopefully make some real good shifts happen. Surely, ma'am, I hope so too. Thank you, thank you for sharing your views. They were truly enlightening. Um, so ma'am, you have had a deep resonance with Eastern philosophy and you also have an extensive training in Western psychology. So this has allowed you to create a blend of these to find part uh, of experiencing inner happiness. So I would like to ask you that what according to you is the recipe of mental well-being? 
Well, that's a great question. I think for me, mental well-being really encompasses mindfulness. And I think another way of saying mindfulness is awareness. And that's where I think the Eastern uh, perspective has really given the West a, a, a huge gift. You know, it's, it's something that that's the blend that of the Western research and science, which is really phenomenal. And then the Eastern perspective of mindfulness and awareness. And when you think about, you know, it doesn't even have to be sitting down to meditate. Awareness can just be moment by moment, watching my own thoughts, watching my own experience and realizing that a lot of time the suffering that I'm experiencing is not happening around me, but it's all happening in my own mind. And when we can grasp that, when we can breathe through that, when we can accept that and say, you know, acceptance is, is not fighting with reality. It's saying, this is what's happening right now. And the more I lean into acceptance, the more I'm able to change the life that I have and I move it towards what I really want. So I think that for me, true happiness comes with my own mindfulness of my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings. And that's really the only, you know, we, we try to control others. We try to control situations. But if we can try to see ourselves in our own thoughts and control a little bit of that, I think we could be a lot happier and a lot healthier as well. Well, thank you so much, ma'am, for your views and for your valuable time. Um, I think your insights would have given our listeners uh, of invaluable takeaways today because I know that I have learned something new from this conversation that I've had. So any closing remarks for our listeners, ma'am? Well, I just want to say, Manveen, I'm so honestly so honored to be here and I'm so impressed at by you and how just you're so personable and just so well-spoken and have such incredible views on mental health. And it's just, it's, it's great to see, this is what I was talking about, that authenticity and vulnerability, you really embody that. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and keep up the great work that you're doing with the organization. I'm really, really proud of you and everything that your firm is doing. Thank you, ma'am. The pleasure is all mine. Uh, so listeners, we will be back with another episode real soon. Till then, stay strong, stay safe, stay healthy and stay tuned.